Todo el mundo. But that was really. 1970s edition. Hello, Kurt. Hello, Stacy, the lovely and talented Stacy Lane Wilson. <laughs> um, yes, and our guest today is another lovely and talented person. Uh, he's Nelson Bragg, who's a percussionist and a vocalist, and he's also the son of Nelson Bragg Sr., a DJ uh, who hosted a hillbilly music program at WCOP Boston called the Hayloft Jamboree in the 1950s. Um, and a DJ, um, though we're not talking about the kind with two turntables and an iPad, is a protagonist in your rock and roll nightmare story. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress was a, is a takeoff, obviously, of Long Cool Woman. And you came up with the story title and helped me a little bit with the uh, creative nudge on how to get that story going. It's about a DJ at a small station in the Midwest. And uh, he used to be a big time DJ up at CKLW, which is Detroit, Windsor. And I grew up in the Midwest back in Indiana. And one of the big stations we listened to was, uh, cause it was 50,000 Watts. There was CKLW and there was WLS in Chicago and WOWO -O 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 in Fort Wayne, <laughs> Indiana, which was only 20, 20 miles away, 25 miles away from where I grew up. Um, so I, and then I became a disc jockey in high school and college. I worked at four little FM stations in Indiana and I worked some all night shifts. And so uh, I just thought it'd be cool to set my story in a little radio station uh, on Halloween 
night uh, and uh, all hell kind of breaks loose, literally. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, and uh, a, a, a long ghoul, long beautiful ghoul named Baby shows up. She comes up out of the grooves of a record he's spinning, that he, he's spinning that song, Long Cool Woman in a Black Dress by the Holly. And that's just a tale of what happens when she comes and starts wrecking, wrecking havoc uh, with uh, Johnny Handsome, who uh, is the disc jockey. Yeah, I love how uh, DJs had cool names back then, you know, like Wolfman Jack, or, you know, they always had to have some kind of a little, uh, I don't know, kind of a handle. Yeah, they all, we all did. And Johnny Handsome's a play on, believe it or not, uh, and I'm not saying this is an accurate description of me, but my DJ name back then was Handsome Kurt, and I didn't choose that. Uh, not that <laughs> it was given to you, bestowed upon you. Yes, it was bestowed upon me by the general manager, uh, program director of the first uh, station I started working at, because I was just, you know, hey, it's Kurt Lambert, you know, and he was always calling me handsome. I'd come walking in and, you know, when I was a 16 year old kid, he go, hey, handsome. And then he goes, you're handsome, Kurt, let's just make that your name, handsome Kurt. So I became handsome Kurt for the next five years of my brief disc jockey career. And you are still handsome, Kurt, as far as I'm concerned. Ah, Stacy, <laughs> coming from a beautiful, gorgeous woman like you, that's a very, very sweet thing to hear. Yeah, so. well, you know, like yourself, I did grow up during a time when DJs were personalities and, uh, you know, listening to the radio late at night with headphones on as a teenager, it kind of lends itself to a sort of intimacy, you know, like they're talking just to you. Um, it does, yeah. Yeah, so I grew up in L.A., and um, I remember Jim Ladd of KME. Oh, yes. Yes, he had the most dulcet tones. And he had this great show called Headphones where you'd put on your headphones and it would kind of play with your mind with the different sounds. And, and then um, Bob Coburn, BC, and Rita Wilde of KLOS. Um, you know, oh, they were yeah. all favorites. Yeah, so who are some of the DJs that you remember listening to? Well, you know, when I moved out here in the 80s, I listened to uh, especially Jim Ladd on KMEP a lot. He's still on. He's on this on uh, Deep Tracks. He hosts a show on Sirius XM, um, which is cool to have him still around. He's still got those great, that great voice. Uh, well, back in, uh, you know, I can't remember the specific DJs from the Chicago and, and the Detroit Windsor CKLW stations. I should, but I don't. But I do remember two from uh, WoWo. 50,000 watts uh, in Fort Wayne. And they didn't have those that great of crazy names. One was young Chris Roberts. So young Chris was his groovy name. And uh, another was Ron Gregory, who didn't have any other funny name. But uh, I really liked, especially Ron Gregory, because he really, uh, I, I just, he had, a, he had some, some humor in his, and some comedy. And he did a lot of uh, really funny stuff leading into songs and leading out of songs and like he'd have a joke and the punchline would be the opening line of a song or something like that so I kind of modeled a little bit of my disc jockey style after uh, after him and um young Chris was uh, uh a very very good looking man because he would come around and do spots at, at things so you'd see him he was a very very good looking dude uh, had a lot of women chasing him all the time, and he had a, just that—he just had that great voice, and he had a very upbeat, sunny uh, persona on the on the air. You know, where everybody liked him, guys and girls, everybody liked him. He was just kind of a cool, fun party kind of guy. 
Yeah, it kind of makes me think of that show. Um, you know, there are not that many TV shows about radio DJs, but of course the ultimate one is WKRP in Cincinnati. And they yes. have, uh, what was it? Uh, Venus Flytrap. Venus Flytrap. And Johnny, and Johnny Fever. Was it Johnny, Johnny Fever? Fever? Yes, Johnny yeah. Fever. Howard, Howard <laughs> so, Hessman. Howard Hessman, yeah. Johnny Fever. Yeah. yeah, that was a fun show. That was a fun show. And uh, yeah, it was, and you know, the, the song would always, I always dug back then because it always, it was, I was on the radio was FM, Steely Dance FM, you know, and it was just kind of a song about listening to their FM songs on the radio and everything. So it was kind of a, I always thought of that as a, it was a DJ song, a radio song. Kind of <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, well, uh, fans can check out your story in Rock and Roll Nightmares volume two. Um, and there's a lot of great stories and, <laughs> and a lot of them by Stacy. She, and uh, it's really cool. We do series. a multi-author collection and we even have an audio book. So you got to hear your story come to life. Uh, I did. A, and that was, yeah. that was a really neat treat. And they did such a great job. Um, Leanne and um, Graydon. Graydon. Yes, and, and they uh, have pseudonyms, though, just like a DJ. They have pseudonyms for their audiobook reading. But that's right. What are those pseudonyms? Uh, that is Vincent Lee Grayson and Lillian Eves. So, yes, and they do. And she does Baby, the ghostly voice of Baby. She did a and great did a really baby. fantastic job of, with sound effects and things in your story. Yeah, they um, really did. I, it, yeah. was, it was a real treat, and it was just a, an honor to be a part of that. So thank you very much for inviting me to, to write up. Uh, a horror rock and roll story, which I'd never done that before. I, I mean, I write, but I hadn't written that kind of subject matter. So it was a challenge and, and it was a treat. Was yeah, a I mean, I know you write screenplays and I had read some of your short stories prior to um, asking you to join us in our rock and roll nightmare odyssey. And you're working on another uh, short story collection. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's a collection of 10 uh, stories and I have about eight and a half done. Sounds uh, like Fellini. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, they're they're not uh, they're not all about the same kind of thing. The interconnecting line for the for the collection is um, I got the idea for every story from overheard conversations at a Hollywood cocktail party hosted by somebody that you know. Someone yeah. I know intimately. <laughs> intimately, although, although you didn't know him then. I did not. Uh, and I did not know you then. Uh, that's how long ago I got, I'd been working on this collection. Was, uh, but anyways, um, so uh, the, the thread is that uh, I, I overheard these people's conversations and, because I didn't know anybody at the party except uh, our mutual friend and one other person. So I just kind of wandered around with a drink in my hand listening and they were stopping, just kind of constantly moving. And I would just hear little snippets of conversations. And I didn't even know what they were talking about, but I heard these one-liners. And all of a sudden, I started thinking to myself, these are some crazy one-liners I'm hearing. And so I, I got out my phone, and I typed them into my phone. And then uh, for some reason, and then later, uh, I thought that'd be a great, great way to, to write short, to come up with short stories. So I, each one of those one-liners is in the story and said as a piece of dialogue by some character in the story. And the one-liner is also going to be the title of each story. What are some of the titles? Um, the, the, the Plants All Migrated. Hmm, okay. I, I, I had this hamster once. Um, my parents were Hare Krishnas, so I couldn't pronounce my name until I was 10. Wow, <laughs> those are great. 
that's a long title. I subtitled that one because that's such a long title, but that'll be uh, the title, but then it'll be, or Theo and the woman in the tight green dress. Um, but so like the hamster story is, is, is gonna be really wild because it's, I think when people read it, they're gonna go, because it's not something you're gonna think about when you hear somebody say, oh, I have this hamster one. And so, what's the title of the book? The book is called Cocktails, T-A-L-E-S, like you're telling a tale, a story, but cocktails because I heard them at a cocktail party. Um, so I'm calling it Cocktails. And uh, perhaps that'll get some, uh, some readers uh, curious about maybe some other topic. Yeah, uh, you, know, <laughs> you never know. It you was so know. big in West Hollywood. There you go. And that's, yeah, all, right. that's all you can hope for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, once you're so <laughs> big in West Hollywood, you've arrived. Yeah, exactly. But uh, anyways, but I, the Rock and Roll Nightmare series, it's, it's a volume of 60s themed and 70s themed and 80s themed. And Stacy, I just got to say, I still think about it. It pops into my head every few days is your opening story in Gory Days, which is the 80s volume and the title of the play on Glory Days by Springsteen. But ladies and gentlemen, you got to read that first story uh, that Stacy wrote the opening story of uh, Gory Days. Uh, yeah, you can whet your appetite for that one. So to yes, speak. you can. <laughs> no pun, every pun intended there. Yeah. Um, well, thank yeah. you, Kurt. And we have a guest coming on. So let's get to that. All right. Well, hello there. Our guest today is Nelson Bragg, singer, percussionist, drummer, guitarist, keyboardist, and rock pop energizer, Bunny Extraordinaire. Nelson is a solo artist with three solo albums, including the just released Marvelous, and it is indeed Marvelous Gratitude Blues. I was listening to it this afternoon. Nelson was a vocalist and percussionist in the legendary Brian Wilson band for many years, and also East Coast bands Big Noise and Farmhouse, Los Angeles bands The Quartet After, LA Crime Jazz Quintet, The M Squad, the Tiki Yaki Orchestra, to just name a few. So hello, Nelson, and welcome to Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast. Hi, glad to be in the nightmare. Hey, <laughs> thanks, Nelson. Welcome to our nightmare. We think you're going to like it. Oh, <laughs> I, I couldn't resist. That I had uh, that record. I had that record. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't we all? Yes. Um, well, I saw you perform with Brian Wilson. Thanks to Kurt for shooting his extra ticket my way. Um, and I was so impressed by how symbiotic the whole band is, yet there's also a feeling of the spontaneous energy, which I would think is not an easy balance to maintain throughout a whole show. Um, how do you guys work together to achieve that? Or is it something that just kind of happens on its own? Well, I, I think it happens by itself. I mean, um, so the, the knowing and knowing the music, playing it correctly, singing it well, singing it correctly, is sort of a second nature. Um, and, uh, you know, unlike other bands, we have, we have a guy that's got problems, you know, Brian has, so we're there to sort of take care of him. And that goal kind of is part of being in that band. So it translates off the stage into the audience, this kind of love, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, usually the spontaneity happens at the encores where we all kind of let loose a little bit. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 it comes across though. I mean, I mean, I know you guys are so well uh, rehearsed and, the, and with Paul and everybody working with you guys and Darian and everything to, 
get that Brian Wilson music down. But it, it like Stacy says, it really does come across though as a as a I don't know, almost playing it for the first time, kind of spontaneity kind of things, which is really cool. Stacy and I went to see. I took her to see you guys at the the two Pantages shows. I think in twenty seventeen or eighteen. Those two really great shows at the Pantages right. Theater yeah, in, was, in in Hollywood. Um, yeah, the Pet Sound shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was so much fun. That was my first experience um, seeing Brian Wilson perform live, actually. So, um, and it was a pleasure to see the whole band, um, you know, Blondie and all you guys. I mean, it was just really, and the, like you said, you feel the love from the audience too. It's really yeah. kind of a two-way street. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Well, you know, you've been you've been a part of so many cool bands over the years. Tell us a little bit about your Massachusetts band, Farmhouse, and then maybe uh, go on to tell us a little bit about the LA Power Poppers, Cloud 11. What were they all about? <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, in the 80s, I was in, uh, I lived in, uh, I went to Bard College, which is where the Stilly Dan went. And uh, so, and the Hudson Valley uh, and Woodstock, New York was a great music scene. And I was in this group called Big Noise. And we were this sort of post-punk uh, Oingo Boingo, a fishbone kind of band. And we used to play in New York at CBGB's in the early 80s all the time. And so my 80s was this sort of frenetic new wave ska world. And it was really sensational. I was in my 20s and the end, you know, the energy you have is endless when you're <laughs> at that age. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, I moved to New York in the late 80s and um, it didn't really work out. I did very well there, but I I couldn't really find the music that I could play that, that, that was for me. So I ended up moving and I joined a, I totally took a left turn and joined uh, my friends and I formed a band called Farmhouse. And this is in Western Massachusetts in Northampton, which is again, kind of a touristy town. It's a big college area where UMass is right there and all, you know, Smith College and all these colleges. And so we were sort of a folk rock band, very REM, kind of, you know, harmonies, Carbstills Nash harmonies. And that was sort of the beginning of this sort of uh, obsession with vocal harmonies that I started, you know? Yeah. And uh, I also started writing songs. I, I wrote songs with uh, Big Noise, but I really got into it with Farmhouse. And that's where I started writing my own songs. You know, a lot of those songs ended up being on my first solo record. And 10 years later, in 99, I moved to LA uh, continuing that love of sort of this uh, harmony pop, power pop, jangle pop, folk rock odyssey that uh, <clears throat> I'm really into. And so all these bands I joined pretty much, you know, right away, uh, the Mellow Cads, the Quarter After, which is a total psych band, Real Real Birds, Buffalo Springfield. Uh, the, the Now People was a soft pop band channeling the Carpenters and uh, Paul Williams and uh, Burt Bacharach. And uh, the Cloud 11 band, you know, Cloud 11 is this great uh, sort of pop savant, um, Rick Gallego. Uh, he's from uh, San Ho Santa Cruz, California. And he, we just met and hit it off right away. And I started playing drums on his records. Did a few gigs too. So, you know, I did all of that kind of thing and continued on doing that uh, until I got noticed from Brian and his gang and I joined that band kind of as a result of my, uh, you know, melody and harmony obsession. <laughs> and that's, oh, wow. that's how it all kind of started, you know? 
Yeah, we have such a varied background, um, different musical styles within the rock genre. Um, and in addition to performing other musicians' music like Brian Wilson's, as you mentioned, you do write your own. And I was listening to some of your solo things. I love the song Cool Kids, which also has a great video that's, you know, nostalgic without being schmaltzy. <laughs> Can you give us a little glimpse into what your writing and recording process is? Well, I, I take notes. Um, <clears throat> you know, I learned a long time ago that uh, any, any idea, no matter how small it is, the tiniest morsel should be uh, hummed into a, you know, tape recorder. Um, so I've been uh, at any time of day or night, any time in the last 45 years, I've hummed uh, things into a tape recorder or then eventually digital recorders. So, you know, a lot of songs start out that way. You know, they start out from an idea that who knows what decade I hummed it in there. You know, I've got <laughs> tidbits, you know, the, the point is, is that if an idea is so great that you feel like you have to save it, you have to remember it. Yeah. It's very likely that that idea is so great that you will be able to finish an entire song from it. Okay. So if you have a great idea and it and, you, and it's lost, what you've done is you've you've essentially turned your back on a great song. You've just let it go out the door, and it's it's an opportunity lost, opportunity wasted. So, um, you know, I start with a melody. If it's always a melody, it's always a da 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 da, or whatever it's going to be, and then maybe uh, some lyrics kind of go to that melody and uh, that could be a chorus. Maybe it's a verse, but we're not sure yet, but you start out that way. And once you have the guitar in your hand and you sort of start messing with it, you start building and slowly the melodies develop into verses and bridges, solos uh, and things like that. And then the words come after that. Well, let's take a listen to that song, The Cool Kids. One, two, three, four. I finally became 
Do you feel like being a multi-instrumentalist as you are that that helps you write songs for different well i mean i i play guitar i mean piano or keyboards i'm not really a piano player or keyboard player i'll play like the most basic parts but i have to get good good piano players uh on my records ah. <laughs> yeah I, I i i do play a lot of things a guitar is my main instrument my main harmony instrument that i use to write and I do play all my guitar, acoustic guitar tracks on, on the songs. But electric guitar is an alien species to me. I cannot, <laughs> is that right? Yeah, it, it's a different animal. You can't play the same on electric guitars. If any guitar players are listening to this, they're la laughing right now. Um, but yeah, as a writing tool, yeah, acoustic guitar. You write the songs on the acoustic guitar. Now, in your other bands, the earlier bands before the Brian Wilson band, or, or the ones you play now around town in LA here, are you playing percussion, drums, guitar, or all of it? Or so it, yeah, I don't really play guitar live. Um, I'm really a drummer, percussionist, singer. That's that's what I do live. Uh, so I'll play drums with certain bands. I haven't played drums in a while, actually. I've been playing percussion uh, in the last few years since I was with Brian from 03 to 17, 2003 to 2017, 14 years. 
And uh, since then, um, the percussion thing definitely has kind of continued on in other groups, mostly instrumental groups. Um, so I play with this uh, crime jazz, uh, the, the M Squad Hollywood soundtrack quintet, which is uh, a crazy thing. We play, I play bongos with them primarily to give it, it's the, a beatnik bongo kind of thing, you know. We play Peter Gunn and uh, spy music, suspense. Yeah, jazz. I've got to see you guys live. Yeah, it's really great. Them. We did a CD that came out in 2019. I produced that and put it on my label, Steel Derek Music, which I put I put out like 10 or 12 different things over the years. But I also play percussion with this uh, this great exotica group called the Tikiaki Orchestra. And they have four albums of original exotica and instrumental like tiki music. It's amazing. You have to see it to believe it, you know. And um, I am looking forward to playing drums again someday. I, I do tend to, I have played in Florida in the last few years with a Beach Boy tribute group and a Beatles tribute group. So I, I, I haven't, it's not like I have not played drums at all. I just haven't played, I don't play drums in LA. So I, hopefully I will, but uh, right now, a lot of percussion. Huh. Well, you talk about drumming and um, singing. It's, to me, there's not that many drummer singers. I mean, of course, I think of Phil Collins or Karen Carpenter. Um, it seems like you're kind of accessing two totally different parts of your brain. Do you sing and play drums at the same time in any of your bands? All of them. <laughs> oh, wow. How do you uh, <laughs> tell me a little bit about what that feels like? Um, well... It's really not that hard at all. Um, it's just your body's going to do one thing and then your mouth is sort of doing this other thing and they don't feel really connected per se. No, I wouldn't think so. They don't feel like they're not distracting from each other, although there are polyrhythms happening uh, at the same time. Um, but uh, I, I've been doing it since I was a little kid, so I guess I just sort of got used to it. <laughs> yeah, you got it down. Well, yeah, you're always, uh, with, I've seen you so many times with Brian Wilson's, uh, at Brian Wilson's concerts, and you're going crazy with the percussion, but right there with all the vocal parts, so obviously. Yeah, that, yeah that's a little harder, um, I would have to say, I have to admit. Uh, first off, you have to, everyone has to sing in that band, no matter what yeah. you're doing. Um, that's how the sound, that's why it sounds like it does, because you've got eight, eight people singing. So all the Beach Boy parts are doubled. So um, that's why it sounds so wonderful. But um, songs like uh, Wouldn't It Be Nice is, it's never easy to play that song because my percussion parts are really complex. They're not really complex. They're just hard to sing around. And there's a lot of different instruments. There's timpani, there's tambourine, there's sleigh bells um, on that song. And then the vocal parts are kind of all over the map. I sing, I, in that band, I sang really, really high and really, really low. And then a lot in the middle. I was kind of all over the map. But uh, that particular song and other songs um, from that sort of orchestral period that Brian, the smile stuff and pet sound stuff. As far as singing and playing, that's that's some 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 of that stuff is pretty hard to do. <laughs> I'm not going to make it out like it's all really easy because it's not. Well, you do it so well. <laughs> Let me throw a song title out to you that I love off of your second album. And that second album is called We Get What We Want. And uh, I love Steel Derrick 1979. Where did that come from? So then I was, I, I grew up in a town called Rockport, Massachusetts. And it's called Rockport because they mined granite out of the ground from Rockport. 
it's just great granite producing uh the land around the town is just somewhere so granite is all over the coast of massachusetts and cities are built with granite and uh rockport had the finest granite and they they did that in the early uh 19th century uh, 20th century and late 19th century and it produced these incredible um swimming quarries and uh, these sort of uh, beautiful clear spring water and the, one of them is called steel derrick <laughs> the one that we all learned to swim in and uh i, I mean it's like sort of the magic uh place that uh, my friends and i and generations of kids in my hometown go to hang out and party everything you learn to do you learn to do there and uh so I kind of was singing about my hometown and growing up in my hometown and being a teenager there. And that's what that song's about, Steel Derrick 1979. Well, the, the chorus of that just, I listened to it again today as, too, and it, that chorus just always just sends me. I just love it. I love singing along with it. It reminds me of my childhood too in Indiana. My, I grew up where there's a lot of limestone. Oh, okay. Uh, so we are, my little town had a, had a abandoned quarry that the little town turned in spring fed with all that great clear water and they turned it into a called mark the marco pool but it had a beach a sandy beach and cliffs with diving boards and everything and so well, wow. uh, uh so being 12 years old and discovering the beach boys and having that kind of beach right there in the pool and the clear water and everything so still still Derek 1979 i love it it takes me back to my my teenage years and uh well, it's a cool great. song it's a cool song that's wonderful. That's great. That's well, now you said recently uh, that Gratitude Blues, I, I, I read this, that you said it was, it's the third album in your trilogy, and you were saying that it was probably your last album. Don't do that to us, Nelson, please. Now, why, why, are you, why are you thinking it's your last album? Um, because I, I'm, 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 you know, some people uh, can sing about anything, uh, write about anything, uh, for years and years and years, you know, I, I'm kind of this sort of, um, uh, I can only really write about my autobiographical, okay, things I know about, people I know about, people I know, experiences I've had. And frankly, uh, three albums worth of music and songs has pretty much covered my life. Um, I would be hard pressed to come up with more. Um, unless I start singing about uh, trees, dogs, uh, <laughs> the sky, the ocean, I don't know what, you know, just, uh, it's just, I'm just not that guy. And to be honest with you, uh, it's really a pain in the ass making a record. It's really a major commitment because the kind of time, it's a long game, you know, it takes years and years to write and record a record. Um, uh, this time uh, it took a lot less time because I just wanted it to be done for my 60th birthday that lost August. And I really wanted just, just to have it done at 60, you know, it's kind of this sort of big number. And uh, so it took, that one took a year, but like my first record took like three years to do. My second record took two years. It's just an incredible commitment. It's a lot of money. I spend a lot of money on my records because I want them to sound the best they possibly can. Everyone gets paid. I use real studios, real instruments, great microphones, and it's a it's a big financial commitment as well. So um, you have this little CD, you know, this this print up five hundred of them, 
and it's it's incredible you you can charge probably 15 bucks you know to be fair if i did a cd again it wouldn't be for another five to seven years and it would be no one's listening to hard copy anymore it would just be a digital only anyway um it just the world is a different place now so there's those are that's like the short list of reasons why but that said in the liner notes i say i'll probably do an americana album with the gal singer and that will probably happen i would love to do a like a cross plant kind of thing if you're familiar with them that yeah. is. i'd love to do that with the gal singer and just of, of country americana covers so not done recording just done solo albums well these three are your three are marvelous uh forever days uh i remember the first time i played that in the car when i just got your cd and it was the first time i had played the cd and i was driving somewhere and i popped it in i about jumped through the the roof of my of my car i love that i mean it, it people go out and get for all three of these cds they're fantastic um but uh, so they're great. You've got a great trilogy, a great trilogy. Highly recommend them. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. I have uh, the first two I have on vinyl, blue vinyl, blue marbled blue vinyl. My first album is on. Oh, wow. My second record is on this blood red wax, incredible translucent red. That was done by a Spanish label. So, uh, but the CDs, those first two albums are actually, I don't have CDs left, I sold them all. Um, and uh, so right now I have the third album is on CD and you know, it'll come out in vinyl someday, but uh, fortunately I, I was able to get them on record, which is a big, big deal. And I, I even did a 45 last year. I did a 45 of I Want Love by Elton John. Oh, wow, how cool is, is that? One of the songs on the new record is I Want Love. And I pressed it on 45 with a bonus song on the B-side that's only available there. So it's, you know, it's I'm a record fanatic. I always have been. My friends know all about my my little problem that I have. <laughs> my my re relatives know it, you know. For, for me to put out all of my music on vinyl, including a a seven inch 45 which is so nerdy and wonderful uh you know that is that is it's just been i'm very very lucky i feel very 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 lucky to have been able to afford uh all of that and i could never have done it anywhere else except los angeles there's hmm. no way that i could ever have found the musicians and the experience and the kind of playing and people that i needed to make these songs the way they sound. Absolutely, it's all because I moved here. Um, now, before we wrap up here, um, in keeping with the title of this podcast, I have to ask you what your own personal rock and roll nightmare would be. <laughs> Can you yeah, pick one? Yeah, that's, that's probably gonna be the van breaking down on some country road in the middle of the night. Uh, uh, or running out of gas in the middle of the night in the wintertime on the country road somewhere in, in the Northeast and you're screwed. Uh, it sounds like the beginning of a horror movie. Yeah, you're screwed. That That's the worst. It's I say that because it, it's happened. It's before cell phones happened, you know, just like. So I've actually lived the nightmare. And lived to tell us about it. <laughs> Thanks for that. 
Well, you're more than welcome. <laughs> so, I was in so my Nelson, where, so I was okay to deal with it. Where can everybody get your CDs on, at Steel Derrick Music website? Yes, that's right. Steel Derrick Music. It, it's also my name, nelsonbragg.com is my it's, it's both both will go to the same place. Well, thank you, Nelson, for being here. I can't thank you enough. And thank you, Kurt, uh, for being my co-host. You're welcome. It's so, so cool to talk with you, Nelson. Thanks to you both. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on the new record. Thank you. Yeah, congrats. Gratitude Blues, ladies and gentlemen. Gratitude Blues. As always, before I close the show, I'm going to share a paragraph from one of the Rock and Roll Nightmares books. This is an excerpt from Along Comes Scary, the 1960s fiction edition. The story is Hell A Woman, and it is by Marco Manone. How Charlie came into possession of such a strange item was open to debate. He claimed he scored it at a pawn shop, but Rumor has it that there was a professor of anthropology up in Berkeley who had his face pulverized by a hammer during a late night home invasion in which several rare antiquities were reported missing. That Charlie was in the Berkeley area at the same time of this brutal homicide was purely circumstantial, but once the news broke, the girls noticed that he was mighty anxious to head south down the coast. Regardless of how he obtained the unique artifact, it was his now, and trips to the library had convinced him that it contained dark powers that could be conjured at will, provided one supplied exactly 27 drops of sacrificial blood under a full moon. Which is why Charlie and his girls ended up at Barker Ranch at the base of the Panamint Mountains. As they filed out into the frigid night, they were met with a chorus of howling coyotes, no doubt celebrating a fresh kill. Charlie took this as a good omen. Above them, the entire universe was on display, and looking up at it made Pamela feel like a shrinking molecule. This concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. You can hear the whole track in the horror comedy film Valentine Days, also with a Z. For photos of the guests and show archives, please visit the website rockandrollthings.com. That's rock and roll with an N. You can also join the Rock and Roll Nightmares Facebook group or follow us on Instagram at rock and roll nightmares books. That's B-O-O-K-S. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me. And until next time. <laughs>